With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in today's episode, we're going to discuss the tight end position. Tom McLevy's going to stop in for a McLevy minute. Seb Talk Sports is going to come by with five burning questions for Coach Taylor. And we're going to welcome in a special guest. It's Dean from Bengals Access. I absolutely love talking Bengals with this guy. Great guy, about to head into the military. Really excited that we had him on before he, he leaves for his basic training. We're going to have another rendition of What Grinds My Gears about the NFL. And I'd like to thank our sponsor, at Bengals Highlights on Instagram. Really cool highlights set to really cool music, something you guys definitely got to check out. All right, before we get into today's show, I wanted to discuss one issue that I've been hearing a lot about on social media. Should the Bengals sign Jamal Adams? The answer, truthfully, is no. It's a lot of money. It's, I mean, he's looking to get like $14 million a year. That's just entirely too much for that position. I know he's a game changer. But, I mean, we just signed Von Bell at a much more reasonable salary for a safety. You want to see your, your number one safety get about $6 million. If you're stacking your roster with a number one safety getting $14 million, it's going to hurt you in other places. And, you know, we need some other positions. We need to fortify this offensive line. We need to make sure the linebacking core is solidified. You know, even tight end. We're, we're a little bit light at tight end, which I'm going to go into today. And putting $14 million into a disgruntled safety is probably not the best idea right now. And that's the other thing. I always strive for team chemistry and to have guys that really want to be there and are enthusiastic about the team. And to have Jamal Adams, you know, just play a couple years with the Jets, start to get some notoriety as a star, and all of a sudden, you know, he's still got two years left on his deal and he's hardballing them for more money. Not really the kind of guy that I want to see on the Bengals roster. I know he's a game changer. I know there's those sexy picks out there, right? You get, let's do it. Let's get Jamal Adams. Let's get Jadavian Clowney. Let's get Larry Warford. You know, now we're going to the Super Bowl. It doesn't always work like that. You want to get guys that are team players, obviously. And I mentioned that I don't really feel that Jamal is. But you also, there is a salary cap. And Mr. Tobin is a very intelligent general manager. He's not going to make mistakes where he overpays at a position and leaves them vulnerable at other positions that could potentially hurt them. So in reality, it's fun to think about getting a guy like that on the roster. But with Von Bell there, and they do have a crew of safeties, the truth is none as good as Jamal Adams. But it's really just not worth the money. You don't want to get too many of those selfish players on your team because then they become me-first guys, and all of a sudden the team isn't as good as you think it's going to be. Just take a look at the Browns. <laughs> Roster analysis. All right, today we're going to review the tight ends that are currently on the Bengals roster. So the tight end position is a little bit tricky for us. We had Tyler Eifert there. I was hoping that he would be a Bengal for life. When he was healthy, he was on top of the league. Definitely going to miss him. I'm wishing him luck down in Jacksonville. Now the issue with 
Eifert from last year was, I mean, he put up decent stats. You know, he had like 400 yards, three TDs. He had the TD in the Miami game, which I kind of wish he didn't have because I wanted to make sure that we got Burrow, but that's a whole other story. But the thing with Eifert that I believe hurt us last year was defenses could see when he was on the field and know it was pretty much going to be a passing down. And a lot of times it's obvious. On a third and long, you obviously know they're going to be passing. But if you look at the snaps that he took last year, he took 411 snaps on passing downs. He took 80 on running downs. When you have that kind of imbalance, having a guy like that in there almost telegraphs what you're going to do. So I'm not sure how often Joe Burrow is going to be looking at his tight ends. I would say for a rookie quarterback, that's something that you kind of need. The tight ends for the Bengals averaged about six targets a game last year. So it's not a position that they're really relying heavily on in the passing game. But again, that's under Andy Dalton quarterbacking. I don't know if they're going to look to have more targets to the tight end with Burrow or less. But when we discuss this position and we get worried about it, we do have to realize, aside from the blocking responsibilities, which I believe are more important for tight ends in this scheme, you're looking at about six targets a game. So it's not as important as we would believe, and it's not something to be totally concerned about. I think we need to have some functional players. And I'm about to go into the the guys on the roster. I think we do have some functional players. CJ Uzama. All right, Uzama was ranked 63rd out of 67 tight ends last year. So according to Pro Football Focus, he didn't really have that great of a season. I like him as a player. I think he's one of those guys that sneaks up on people. He's not a Gronkowski. He can't be your go-to tight end. He can't be the guy that bails you out of everything. But if you watch some Bengal games, sometimes they forget about him. And, you know, you've seen him wide open in the end zone for some easy touchdowns. And he's quick. He's, I mean, he's 6'6", 260. That's a big man. But he's very quick for his size. So he's someone that you can rely on really as like a number two tight end. I know they're going to have him as the number one this year, unless Sample breaks out, who we'll get to in a minute. But the thing about Uzama is I would like to see him get a little bit better with his blocking. At 6'6", 260, you know, you figure he would be a great blocker. He was rated fairly low in pass blocking and actually rated very low in run blocking. And I have a theory for that. I I think it's his body type. He's a 6'6 guy. And even though he's 260 pounds, I believe at 6'6", sometimes he loses leverage when blocking. So maybe that's the result of him not being as good of a blocker as we would hope for his size. But I think he's a team player. He plays hurt, has great speed, will surprise people sometimes. So I'm very happy to have him on the roster. Drew Sample. So Drew Sample is the big mystery. A lot of people are upset that they took him in the second round. But again, if you're going to believe in the organization and believe in Mr. Tobin, they've said over and over that he wasn't going to be there by the third round. Now, he got hurt last year. He only played 108 snaps. So it's really kind of an abbreviated rookie season for him. I know that people were saying that even his blocking wasn't that good last year, but I looked at the numbers on PFF. His pass blocking was very good. His run blocking was a little bit low. So I know they got him to be mostly a blocking tight end, and I thought it was a great idea at the time. You know, sometimes I drink the Kool-Aid on their draft picks, and again, when Mr. Tobin says something, I, I give it the respect that it deserves. So I was like, wow, this is like having another offensive lineman in there, basically. It didn't show last year in his numbers. But if you look at the size, the heights and weights of the tight ends on the roster and around the NFL, he's got good size. He's 6'4", 258. 
Now, you get a lot of 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six tight ends, like I was saying about Uzama, that might not have that same kind of leverage. This guy's just a little bit shorter than that, but a little bit heavier than that. So he does seem like the perfect guy to be blocking. We'll see what he does in the pass game. I think that Burrow can make a star out of anybody. I don't know if they're really looking for him to be the number one right now because of Uzama, but he's definitely going to be the two. And if for some reason he breaks out, then we could look at him as being the number one tight end on the roster. Seathan Carter. I've talked about Carter before. A good team player. They love him on special teams, so that's probably why he's not going anywhere and he's stuck around as an undrafted free agent for a couple years now. And I loved him getting that touchdown against the Patriots last year. It kind of showed, hey, you know what? You, you throw two tight ends out there, they might forget about him. You slip him the ball. He shows that he can catch it, so we'll see what happens there. This is going to be one of Darren Simmons' guys. They're going to keep him around for a bit. He's definitely making the team this year. I wish him luck in the future. I consider him a Bengal, and I'm, and I'm glad to have him. And not every tight end on the roster is going to be some game-breaking receiver. A lot of times you're looking for those big tight ends and big linebackers and fast defensive ends to play special teams. Because if you have a big special teams unit that is also fast, you're going to find yourself at the top of the league. A lot of times you see teams, they have too many little guys in there on special teams, and they get whooped sometimes. So it's definitely good for the team to have a a functional tight end that's a core special teamer. So, Seaton Carter, glad you're aboard, man. Mason Shrek. Mason Shrek. Another guy, when he's in there in preseason, he looks pretty good. I know he also has some injury problems as well. Seventh rounder, so you're taking a flyer on that. This is kind of an example of a guy who gets cycled out over time, and it's a shame. You know, his whole career, I was waiting for him to kind of break in and, and be the number three tight end. I think he came up for a short spell last year when they had some injuries. But again, this is the danger that you run into when you when you draft guys in the late rounds and they don't work out their first year or two, and then you draft another guy at that same position, and now the other pick becomes a wasted pick. I really hope that doesn't happen to him. I like him as a player, but we'll see if he's going to be able to make the active roster this year. Unless there's some major breakout for him, he's going to find himself fighting for a roster spot. Jordan Franks. So Jordan Franks is another unsigned free agent. The thing that I remember most about his career, I think they did an article on him. Uh, Jeff Hobson did an article on him on the Bengals' website. And then the next week, he busts out with a 32-yard pass play right in the beginning of the game. And I was like, oh, this guy might be the real deal. You know, he's, he's fast, and, you know, they need tight ends. They needed tight ends at the time. That was a couple years back. The thing is, he's a little bit undersized to be a blocking tight end. And I think they're pretty stocked up at receiver. I don't really think he's going to make his way into the lineup as a receiving tight end. Another guy who was a wide receiver in college that made the transition to tight end. So a lot of times that doesn't work out. You know, it's guys that can catch the ball a little too slow to play wide receiver, but sometimes a little too small to be an NFL tight end. Either way, he's a Bengal. He's been here for a few years. I've seen him make at least one great play. You know, maybe he'll get the fire and realize that this is one of his last chances to make an NFL roster. And hopefully he steps up. Hopefully they give him a chance. And we'll see how everything flies with him. Mitchell Wilcox. From what I read, Wilcox was the best tight end in the University of South Florida's history. They said he's a willing blocker, caught a lot of passes down there. The crazy thing about him is at the combine, he took a ball to the eye, which kind of dampened his combine, I imagine. It was a pretty serious eye injury, and that might have even hurt his draft stock, to be honest with you. A little bit undersized as a tight end, 
But from what I'm reading, they're saying that he has one of the best chances of making the roster out of all the undrafteds. And from Germany, Moritz Bowringer. I love this guy. I remember when he got drafted. They actually drafted him as a wide receiver in the sixth round straight out of Germany. He ran a 4-4-3 at the Combine for a 6-5 guy. Since he came to the Bengals, they beefed him up a little bit, so he's not really wide receiver specs anymore. I think he's up to like 250 pounds, so... They thought they could convert him into a tight end. My best memory of him, I think it was two years ago, uh, Marvin Lewis's last year of coaching. It was the last preseason game, and they were forcing the ball into him to try to get him a touchdown, which I thought was a real class move. A little bit of a mystery to me. Even though they've had him on the roster, they keep stocking other tight ends. It feels like they'd grab a tight end off the waiver wire before they would actually bring this guy up to the active roster. But the thing is, he's valuable to us in the fact that we've been granted the European player exemption so we can have an extra practice squad player, that's a big advantage. I know it's just one guy, but we have one guy more on the roster than most of the other teams do. And that helps in practice when they're running scout teams and stuff, especially a guy like that who can kind of play a couple positions, not too small, definitely not slow. So he has his value in that regard. The mystery on him is, I don't know when that runs out. I thought when they when they let him on the roster as a foreign player exemption, I thought that was going to be like a one-year deal, and already we're going on year three with him. I'm rooting for him, really. I hope he gets into a game. So that'll do it for the tight ends. I'm going to quickly run down all the guys on the list just to give you my opinion on who's going to make the roster, where they're all going to end up. Uzama, probably going to be a tight end number one. Drew Sample, please be healthy. Please grow. You'll be the number two. Seathan Carter, you're going nowhere. They love you on special teams. Mason Shrek, Jordan Franks, Mitchell Wilcox, You're all going to be fighting for that number four spot if there even is a number four spot. And if there's not a number four spot, I imagine that at least one of you will end up on the practice squad. So you guys are fighting for your careers, and you guys are Bengals, so I'm pulling for every one of you. I hope that it goes well for you guys. Hey, maybe they take on four tight ends. Maybe they throw a fifth on the practice squad. But we'll see how that all plays out. And then Maurice Bowringer, I hope they give you that NFL exemption for the next 10 years, man. Love to have you on the squad, and again, it is an edge having that extra player. Seb Talks Sports. All right, we're here with Seb Talks Sports. Seb, how are you today? I'm doing good, Frank. How about yourself? All right, man. Hey, I wanted to say congratulations on all the great guests you're getting on your social media. Baldinger, Banks, all these ex-Super Bowl guys, some basketball players, cricket players. You're, you're You're really slamming it, man. I appreciate that. It means a lot. Thank you. All right. So let's get down to business. If you had to ask Coach Taylor five questions, what would those questions be? Well, I think first I want to know how much he trusts Sam Hubbard, because as good as Dino Atkins and Carlos Dunlop are, they're both on the wrong side of 30 at this point and accounting for $25 million on the cap this season, which is a big hit, but you can't put a price on leadership, I guess. You're bringing DJ Reed this offseason on a huge deal at defensive tackle, which provides some depth, but not a huge pass rushing presence. And other players like Renell Wren and Carl Olsen have been plagued with injury issues. And with Khalid Kareem, nothing more than a fifth-round rookie this season, with low expectations, all eyes will be on Sam Hubbard. Hubbard has averaged over seven sacks a season since entering the league and may be the answer to the Bengals' defensive end position long-term. And given that the Bengals still have over $24 million in cap space and free agents such as Unique and Gutkway on my Jaguars are out there, I want to know just how much Zach Taylor trusts Hubbard going forward. Number two. What are the team's expectations in 2020? 
obviously they're coming off a 2-14 season, so hoping to improve on that. But by how much? It's fair to say that Mike Brown hasn't exactly prioritised winning over the last decade or two. And he's more concerned with driving up profits. But this offseason seems to have changed things. He's surrounded Burrow and Co. with a lot of weapons. Now there's some nice defensive players like Von Bell and Trey Waynes to sure up that side of the ball. Also, the AFC will have seven playoff teams this season for the first time ever. Is Zach Taylor realistically expecting to make the playoffs? And if not, how much would classify an improvement on last season's bottom of the league record? Number three. Will Burrow's familiarity with the scheme remain the same? Burrow used a lot of spread offence in his national championship winning season at LSU under passing game coordinator Joe Brady. So will this be the same case when he moves from the Tigers to the Bengals? I've said it before that I think the Bengals will be using a spread offence this season due to the talent they have out there. AJ Green, Tyler Boyd, John Ross, Alex Erickson, Auden Tate and now T Higgins, as well as two serviceable backs who can be used to set a play action and help Burrow move the ball down the field. Since Burrow is used to such an offensive scheme and thrived in one last season on his way to a Heisman Trophy, I think it would be silly not to adopt such a style. I would love to know whether or not Zach Taylor feels the same that I do. Number four. Will Zach Taylor be inclined or even forced to hand over play-calling duties if things start to go pear-shaped in Cincinnati? As the Bengals began to struggle in 2019, local beat writers and pundits alike began to call for Taylor to hand over play-calling duties to offensive coordinator Brian Callahan. People forget that Callahan has been part of a Super Bowl-winning staff when Peyton Manning's Broncos toppled Cowns Panthers in the 2015 season to win a Lombardi. So he knows what it's like to go all the way, and he clearly has an ability for offensive scheming. In addition to directly coaching Matt Stafford and Derek Carr, Callahan would give the Bengals a fresh new approach to offensive play-calling. I know Zach Taylor's only had one season in Cincinnati and deserves another roll of the dice with a potentially generational talent in Borough. But if the Bengals are under 500 at the bye in week nine, then we may see a new coach calling the plays midway through the season. But what does Zach Taylor think about this? Number five. Who now becomes the biggest voice in the locker room now that Dalton will be backing up Dak Prescott on the Cowboys this season? While the easy answer is Joe Burrow, as a rookie he has zero pro-level experience and will just be trying to find his feet in the NFL before anything else. I mean, look at my Jags last season. While Foles and Minshew could rally up the troops, I think the biggest presence without a doubt was Calais Campbell. And now we've lost him to the Ravens. We're asking a lot of Minshew to fill the leadership gap left by Calais, in my opinion. So I ask you, Zach Taylor, with Dalton in Dallas, will Burrow be able to fill that leadership void from day one? Or are you expecting more from an esteemed veteran like Geno Atkins? Seb, I agree with all those questions. And really the most intriguing one to me is with the play calling responsibilities. It was hard last year watching Zach Taylor struggle through it having to worry about clock management and game management. So I, th- I think that's a very valid point that you bring up there. Seb, how do people find you on social media? Uh, people can find me on Twitter, at Seb Talk Sports, Facebook, again, Seb Talk Sports, and Instagram, where I'm primarily active, again, at Seb Talks Sports. Thanks, Frank. So, what really grinds your gears? Blocking in the back. Typically, it happens when you're seeing it on the offensive side of the ball. It's when someone gets beat, maybe a defensive end is blowing past a tackle, and the tackle just pushes the guy from behind. Or maybe downfield, you got a running back cutting through traffic, a wide receiver starts cracking back, he sees a safety bearing down on the running back, same thing, pushes him from behind. I just don't like it. I think it's a cheap move. It happens when a guy gets beat, and he tries to compensate and shoves someone in the back. If you think about it, 
It's ruining kickoff and punt returns. How many times do you see a great punt return and all you're doing is watching the bottom corner of the screen to see if that yellow flag comes up? Happens all the time. I can't even enjoy kickoff and punt returns. Even when Brandon Wilson took it all the way back against the Ravens, I was like, oh, where's the flag? I mean, it's just, it's rampant. The officials are on the lookout for it. And technically, you want to blame them for ruining those plays, but it's really not their fault. Because I see it. I'm all mad. Oh, he threw a flag on this. Come on, just let the guys play. And then you see the replay, and, you know, one of the guys just totally guns another guy in the back. So that's why I have a problem with it. I mean, in the real world, if someone were to push you in the back, you know, that's that's almost grounds to fight. It's You know, it's when you think about it, it's just not a, a cool thing to do. And these guys should know better. I started playing football in fifth grade. And within three days of playing football, I knew you can't block people in the back. And now you have these guys that are superstar athletes, NFL players, work their way through, you know, junior ball, high school ball, college ball. Now they're in the NFL and they still don't know better just to not block someone in the back. The refs are looking for it. You're not going to get away with it. And that's the problem. Guys get beat. They don't want the coaching staff to get down on them. They don't want it on their record that they just got beat. So, you know, they, they try to bend the rules a little bit, get a little shove in. I, t- I took care of my guy, coach. Truthfully, you're not going to get it by the refs most of the time. You should know better. And these blocks in the back just ruin the kicking game and, and the return game. So that's one of the things that I would want to change about the NFL. Stop blocking people in the back. McLevy Minute. All right, we're here with Tom McLevy. Tom, how are you today? Good, Frankie. How you doing, buddy? All right, my man. Listen, recently Sports Illustrated released a ring of honor for each of the NFL teams. Do you agree with Sports Illustrated's choices? Uh, yes. It's a nice topic to talk about, Frank, since it's uh, downtime. Sports Illustrated had Paul Brown, Munoz, Ken Riley, Kenny Anderson, Boomer, and Chad Johnson. Um, all good, solid picks. If I had to choose one out, I'd probably lean towards Chad Johnson. Maybe put Corey Dillon in there. He was such a difference maker for this team. The fact that the team was really down in his years, put up solid numbers. That would be the only uh, change. I saw on Twitter just recently people talking about it. They had the top four there, Brown, Munoz, Riley, and Anderson. Then they said come up with two more out of a list that they chose. And surprisingly, uh, Willie Anderson made the cut over Boomer. First off, winning counts as my feeling towards this great six. And he was an MVP, and he led his team to win playoff game. So I feel he has to be up there as uh, one of them. Then you can go with individual talent. You can look at Willie Anderson in that sixth choice. Do you think they should do something at Paul Brown Stadium to honor these Ring of Honor candidates? I feel so, Frank. Uh, Mike Brown has to get these guys' names in the public. Even start with the you know, three. Dudes like Paul Brown, Munoz, and uh, you know, get Kenny Riley up there. Give him his due. It's a shame he died just recently. But give him his due. And, you know... You know, Mike Brown should start getting these names out there that maybe could help them with their Hall of Fame chances. 
he doesn't have to go crazy like the Cincinnati Reds have done recently with putting statues out in front of a great American ballpark. Mike Brown would never splurge for anything like that. So put up a few letters in uh, in the stadium to the showcase. Yeah, Mike Brown should do that for for the players. I agree, and when people see it on TV, that you know they're going to start seeing the name Ken Riley more. It becomes more of a household name. Maybe that maybe that starts to trickle down to some Hall of Fame voters, and eventually he he does get his due and get in there. And Correct. and you know Tom and Ken Anderson's got to go in there too. I mean, if you're going to say uh, three, four guys, let's let's put him in there too. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you're you're talking a few, just a few names. The Reds do it, and they give them red jackets. So, yeah, the Bengals do give them an orange jacket. It would only help the brand, the Cincinnati Bengal brand. That's what Mike Brown should be focused on, putting the brand out there and maybe changing his talk around the NFL. You know, people don't want to play for Cincinnati because the owner's tight. So start changing. With this new era coming on with Joe Burrow, let's change his stripes per se. Exactly, Tom. I couldn't agree with you more. All right, listen, we're going to introduce a new segment to the McLevy Minute, which is word association. So I'm going to name a Bengal, and Tom, you just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay, great. All right, here we go. John Ross. Peter Ward. A.J. Green. Classy. Boomer Esiason. Play action. Andy Dalton. Steady. Carson Palmer. Mm, bad timing. Chad Johnson. Not serious. Marvin Lewis. I'm going to give him two words. I'm going to say the first eight years statue, and then in his, the later half of his career, too long. Justin Smith. Oh, bull rush. And lastly, since you mentioned it before, Peter Warwick. I'm going to say John Ross due to the fact that you can mirror these two guys in their NFL career. If, if Ross doesn't come through this last chance he has with the Bengals, listen, he was. Uh, I loved the pick when they took him out of Washington. He was a game changer. But for some reason, he came to the Bengals, and all of a sudden, he had drops. He had injuries. If the rumors true, wasn't given a proper chance by Lewis. His career could mirror Peter Warwick due to the fact that Warwick came out of Florida State, high draft pick, and just never gave that impact he was supposed to. If John Ross feels this year, you can just have a picture of a Bengal and just say either John Ross or Peter Ward that never fulfilled his high draft pick status. Wow, Tom, you know, that's something that I never even thought about, but it is so true. You know, Warwick played a few years with the Bengals, but really he only had a couple prominent games, one being that Kansas City game. You know, he had the punt return and the long touchdown. And then it feels and, like Ross kind of had the same thing. What You know, he, he banged out in those first two or three games of last season, and then the injuries, yeah. and then he disappeared. Yep, and, and the same type of guy. Guys who got the ball in their hands any way they could in college. And then when he came to when they came to the Bengals, 
either they couldn't hold on to the ball when they were given a chance to produce or injuries or just carried down the depth chart by people outperforming them. But it's a shame that hopefully John Roth can earn his stripes, as use that term again, and um, get that new contract with the Bengals putting up the numbers he was supposed to. And, and Frank, I'll go back to my Marvin Lewis name recognition uh, when I said I'll give him two for his career because the first six, seven, eight years, I mean, he was destined for a statue out in front of Paul Brown Stadium, the way he was moving his team, changing, putting winning production on the field. But he was there way too long. And I'll give him that second term I gave him too long because he was there way too long. The fan base turned on him. The negatives started showcasing more than the positives in his tenure. Tom, I'm glad you clarified that. Truthfully, I was a big Marvin guy, and I kind of agreed that it was getting a little stale at the end there. But when you first said statue, I thought you were just referring to his on-the-field presence. But now that I realize you were talking about on the road to getting a statue out front, I I agree with that. He he did make him a perennial playoff team. Exactly, (laughs) Frank. And we were just waiting for that one playoff win. Frank, that year that Dalton broke his finger, that team was destined. I think they had everything you needed for a playoff winning team, let alone a Super Bowl run. So he had some bad luck during his reign. But yeah, that's why, you know, he's a tale of two coaches. Excellent stuff, Tom. It was great talking with you, man. I guess we'll be catching up next episode. Sounds great, Frank. You know, hopefully by... Uh, our next episode, will hopefully baseball will be in spring training, July 1st or starting. So hopefully they can uh, baseball can go off and football can look promising also. I'm with you on that, my man. The unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome Dean from Bengals Access. All right, we're here with Dean from Bengals Access. Dean, how are you today? Hey, Frank, how's it going? All right, my man. Let's get right down to business. Who are the offensive players that you think we should be keeping an eye on this season? I think there's a couple offensive players, but um, I think with Joe Burrow coming in, uh, I think everyone's starting to look at him, but I think some people are starting to forget about Joe Mixon. With Joe Mixon in there, I think uh, we got, obviously, an elite running back in the backfield to relieve some pressure off of Joe Burrow. You're going to see NFL defenses eyeing on Burrow a lot, especially the teams we played earlier in the year. Um, they're expecting Joe Burrow to be a gunslinger, which he will. But I think Mixon's going to have even a bigger year, probably a big beginning of the year, because we're going to give him a lot of carries to kind of relieve pressure on Joe Burrow. And giving Mixon the ball also opens up Joe Burrow in the play-action game. So I think getting, getting Joe Mixon the ball will be very effective, especially early in the season. I also think uh, another Bengals player that's going to be very effective is Auden Tate. Um, I think people are forgetting about Auden Tate. I think, oh, let, me, let me tell you, Auden Tate bailed out Andy Dalton lots of times last year. I don't think it's going to be more of a bailout scenario this time. I think it's going to be more of Auden Tate uh, in the red zone, most likely. We've got so many receivers this fall. I can just pick and choose any receiver, and there'll be probably a breakout receiver. But I'm, I'm choosing Auden Tate specifically because uh, with T. Higgins coming in, people are kind of starting to forget Auden Tate's even there. And I think Auden Tate was, in my opinion, dominant last year. He's got some separation problems, but that's fixable. 
But I think Auden Tate's going to be very good next year. I think we're going to use him in the red zone a lot. Um, and I think we'll use him on third down situations too, like a big man, maybe throw it a fade on third and goal, something like that. I think Auden Tate will be very effective again for us next year. What about defensive players to watch this year? Let me tell you, I love the uh, the Von Bell signing from the Saints. I think Von Bell, he had the most forced fumbles last year in the league. He, he can really play anywhere on the field. Even you can put him at defensive end, he'll be dominant. You know, he's a he's a great tackler, especially when you put him in the box. He's a great strong safety. He's got some coverage issues, but Von Bell in general, he's a leader. He's only, I believe, 26 years old. He's going to come in. He's going to be an impactful leader to this defense that we need. Our big issue was with the run game last year, and he's going to fill an immediate role in that uh, run defense. I think Von Bell's going to be great. I also love that DJ Reader signing. I think he's going to be very good too, but I'm mainly looking at Von Bell. When we thought the free agency signings were done, we got a huge impact player in and that just, I was, I really, it really lightened the mood and really showed the culture of like where this team's going, you know? So I think Von Bell, um, he's going to make an immediate impact. I think he's going to be the breakout player of the year defensively for Cincinnati. Wow, Dean, great points on those guys. I, I admit, I agree with you on all that stuff. Well, what do you think of the job that Zach Taylor's done so far? Let me tell you, I might be one of the biggest Zach Taylor fans in Cincinnati Bengals fan base history. <laughs> um, I, love, I love what Zach Taylor's doing. I love uh, what he's building. Um, I think Zach Taylor's building something that we haven't seen before, maybe since, I don't know, maybe like Sam Weish. I wasn't alive at the time, but what Zach Taylor's doing, he's making all these free agency moves. Mike Brown is starting to actually kind of connect with them, it seems like. Building the winning culture, um, obviously we went 2-14 and 14 last year, but you could see it didn't really feel like a 2-14 and 14 team, you know? Zach Taylor got these guys hyped up. Zach Taylor finally has uh, time to develop these guys. I love, he's a great, Zach Taylor's a great speaker. I, I really like his tone. I, I really like how he is just in general, especially as a person off the field. I really trust Zach Taylor. I really do. I, I think Zach Taylor is going to be uh, with us for a long way. In two or three years from now, if he doesn't improve, I think we might have some concerns, but I doubt that happens. I think Zach Taylor is going to develop Burrow very nicely, especially since he's a quarterback's coach, you know. I hope I'm right. I, I think Zach Taylor is going to be very, very good for us in years to come. Dean, I agree with you on that. I think that Zach Taylor kept the team together when they were, you know, losing a lot of games last year. He's, they were still playing hard at the very end, and I think that's a tribute to his motivational capabilities. Well, I'm glad to have you on board rooting for this team as well. And you do a great job on Instagram and social media. How can people find you? Uh, thank you, Frank. I, I, wanted a, I wanted a name that kind of stood out, and it seemed like Bengals Access kind of stood out. You know, if you just searched up Bengals, Bengals Access would pop up. So uh, that's pretty much it. Bengals access, kind of simple. Excellent. And yeah, I, I heard that you are going into the military. I'm going to say that that's a very brave thing. And I'm sure I speak on behalf of a lot of people in saying thank you for, for doing that, man. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, good luck in there, Dean. I appreciate it. All right, I'll be talking to you soon, my friend. All right, thank you, Frank. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Next episode, we're going to continue to go over any new Bengal news. We're going to analyze the roster. Tom McLevy's going to stop in for another McLevy minute. Seb Talk Sports will be by as well. And we're going to have another special guest, which I'm not going to announce yet for next episode. I'd like to thank our sponsor, at Bengals Highlights on Instagram. And also give a couple shout-outs to some of my favorite pages and accounts that I've become friends with and people that have been very cool to me. Bengals Talk, Joe Goodberry, Westside Hooday, Stripe Hype Bengals, Blake Jude, great guy. Bengals Access Dean, wonderful guest. Bengals Center, 
Bengals Junction, Cincy Strong, Bengals Nation 1, Bengals Captain, you're the guy, man. Number one fan out there. Also number one fan out there, Bengal Jim's BTR, Zim Huday, the authority out there on social media, Trey IDK, who's also Bengals Planet, Bengals Borough, Huday Insider, and a bunch of others that I just didn't have time to name right now, but I'm going to get to you guys. You know that I'm very thankful and appreciative, and I love all these Bengal fans out there. It's great to have this kind of community. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.